May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Love your enemies. As we are less than 48 hours from the end of one of the most vicious election seasons I think any of us can imagine, I imagine that when we think of celebrating saints, the phrase, love your enemies, really comes to mind. And that's a bit of a joke, and I know that. And I say that because I think that it highlights something that we struggle with in today's readings. Today's readings seem, especially the gospel, seems a little bit impossible, and so we tend to be very keen to sort of think that it doesn't apply to us. Well, we read this version, and Luke's version of the Beatitudes is interesting because it has fewer of the blessed are, there's only four, and it has the mirror image, the four woes on the other side. Only Luke does that. Matthew does not. And when we hear this combination, we're tempted, especially on All Saints Day, we're tempted to think that what that means is that it refers to those famous saints that we can think of who gave up everything to follow God. Think of St. Francis or Mother Teresa or someone like that. And we're very tempted to say, well, that doesn't really apply to any of us here today. Or maybe we have the reverse tendency. Maybe we think of it as just a set of holy promises for later on that might be particularly applicable to those who are poor or unhappy right now. And we can comfort them by saying, well, yes, you're hungry right now, but someday you will go to heaven and then you will never be hungry again. But again, it doesn't really apply to us today. And I think that Luke wants us to know that it does apply very much to us today. If you take a look at the Bible, this particular teaching of Jesus comes fairly early in his public ministry. He may have probably been at his ministry for only a few months. He has literally just called his disciples and is beginning to get a following and attract crowds who are beginning to come to his teachings. And this is when he gives us this teaching of the four blessings, the four woes, and the general instructions. And I think that's intentional. Because I think he's trying to tell the disciples exactly what they're getting themselves into, exactly what he expects them to proclaim to everybody. And I think he's trying to tell all of the people who are coming to them Brace yourself. I'm not going to tell you what you expect to hear. Because on some level, people in Jesus' time were not all that different from people today. It is really hard for us to look at somebody who is suffering today and say, you know what? You're really blessed. It sounds insincere at best. It sounds like an outright lie at worst. We don't think of people who are in bad circumstances as blessed. We tend to think people who are doing well are the ones who are blessed. And Jesus is here to tell us, I'm going to, tell, to take everything you think 
and turn it on its ear. Now, pretty much all of the Gospel of Luke does that, and it's helpful to remember that. From the moment we first get a sense that Jesus is coming, at the very beginning of Luke, Mary gets word that she is going to conceive and bear a son, and it will be Jesus, and her response is the Magnificat, which, if you remember clearly, is the song that she sings, which includes things like He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has taken the mighty from their thrones, has God, and scattered the poor and the the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. Mary already knows that Jesus is going to come and turn all of our expectations on their ear. Mary concludes the Magnificat by te- by the fo- with the following phrase, as he promised to our forefathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And it's a helpful reminder because what it tells us, what it reminds us of is that God is interested in deep, true relationship. Lasting relationship. In fact, one of the definitions of the word blessed is to have a place in God's heart. That's a deep relationship. Now, I think most of us don't experience that kind of relationship all that often nowadays. I think most of us experience what I would call transactional relationships. I give you X, you give me Y. Best exemplified by, I walk into my local purveyor of coffee. I ask for, place an order, I give them money. They give me a medium skinny mocha with sugar-free chocolate syrup and no whip. I am pleased with the service because they got my rather complicated order right. I leave them a tip and we walk off never to really see each other again. But I think that this transactional relationship has pervaded more and more of life so that we look more and more at things that are transactions instead of relationships. I take a look at how many of us experience the workplace nowadays where we are hired to do job X at salary Y and if we continue to do that we might get a cost of living increase but there's no sense of nurturing us into what we might become no sense of, of raising people up, of seeing what the talent is and trying to nurture that. Instead, know when the job changes and instead of job X, we need someone to do job Z, we will instead hire someone else to do job Z. And I think that that's a little bit sad. I think that there are people in the world who experience relationships as nothing more than a series of transactions. This week I recalled when I was doing, when I was in seminary and I did a stint as a hospital chaplain, as many seminarians do. And I remember one night I was doing the overnight shift at the hospital and I was called into a critical care unit to come spend time and sort of be present with a woman who was detoxing, for lack of a better word. Um, She was crying out, she was very restless, and the nursing staff seemed to think that she would benefit from having somebody there to sort of talk with her and be with her because she was all alone. 
this might be a helpful point in the story to let you know that what we found out the following morning was that she was not only alone, that she had come to the hospital because the police had picked her up that night, clearly on all kinds of things we don't know what, but also, oddly, without any clothes, purse, wallet, anything. So when I walked into her hospital room, she was in a bed with you know sheets on and everything else, and I introduced myself, hi, I'm Michelle, I'm the chaplain. Her perhaps natural first question was, can you get me my clothes? I'm sorry, I said, right, quite honestly, I haven't the faintest idea where they are. Can you get me a cigarette then? I'm sorry, I, you're in a hospital, you can't smoke. How about a beer? No, I think that we, you can, you know, you're probably better off not having a beer right now, but I'm happy to sit with you. Well, what can you do for me? Well, I can sit with you because you're going to be here for a while. I thought you might like some company. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? If I give you $100, will you get me a beer? You can keep the rest. No, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Tell me about yourself. Do you know Jerry? Um, no, I don't know Jerry. Call Jerry. Tell him to go to my office, or to my house, and he can pick up my jacket. And in my jacket pocket, there's a pack of cigarettes and some money, he can go get a beer. This was the sum of the conversation for a good two hours. At one point, the woman told me that I could not possibly be a chaplain because I was evil. She could see it in my eyes, and by the way, I'm not getting her a beer. But what I got out of this conversation was the rather sad realization that all of the people in this poor woman's life had been transactional. That Jerry was her friend because Jerry knew that she had some money in her pocket that he could go and get some cigarettes. That her other friends hung out with her because they knew that when she got her paycheck, she was good for a round at their local bar and that when she had absolutely nothing left to give, all of them would leave her with literally nothing sitting in the middle of a parking lot. I think the reason I thought about that woman this week is because last week, Becca Stevens was in town. And for those of you who don't know, Becca Stevens is an Episcopal priest in Tennessee who has founded a number of ministries. One of them is Magdalene, which is a home for, a haven for people who have come out of jail and are trying to escape being trafficked. And another one of them is Thistle Farms, which is a company that she founded to help employ people after they graduate from Magdalene so that they can find jobs on the outside. Magdalene is a home for, where people can live for two years, initially rent-free, while they do what they need to do. And so 
when Becca Stevens was here last week, when, she was, when I've spent other time with her, I heard her and the women who have graduated from her program basically give witness to their really, their really simple and profound motto, that love heals. I heard the women tell the stories of coming into Magdalene, literally having just gotten out of jail that morning, walking into Magdalene to their new home and being presented with a key to the front door. And one of them said, you know, this is the first time I, anyone had ever trusted me with a key to my own place before. One of the other women told, said that, you know, when you become, when you enter the front door of Magdalene, you are welcomed by the community that's already living there, and you get a gift basket of, you know, little things like body wash and scented stuff and things for your hair and, yeah, girly things, go ahead, say it. You know, earrings, stuff like that. But that the women generally take a look at this basket and they're filled with confusion and a little bit of fear because in the back of their minds, they're wondering, who gave me this and why? And what are they expecting? For most of the women who come, who come to Magdalene, who are fleeing lifetimes of abuse and situations that got them into a point where being trafficked seemed like a good option, for them, they have experienced an entire life of transactional relationships. If you are good, I will give you this. But if you are bad, boy, are you going to get it. The first six months in Magdalene, the women don't have to pay rent, they don't have to do anything except concentrate on be being whole, on being healed. They go, they do detox, they do 12 steps, they do all of the things that they need to do to recover from the scars that they have lived through. And eventually, they get to a point where they can believe that they are loved and lovable. Eventually, they get to a point where they can believe that people actually want them to be happy for no other reason than they want them to be happy. Last year, when I was on retreat with some of these women, one of them told me, you know, boy, you know, my stepdad who hit me told me I was stupid and I dropped out of school in ninth grade, but right now I'm in charge of sales. And by golly, I can do enough math to keep all this straight. It was the first time she'd been trusted to do something that important. Becca Stevens says that Magdalene runs on a Benedictine model, and that is very true. Um, the women who graduate from Magdalene did not go to seminary. They like to sort of say it's a sisterhood for life, and they like to use the analogy of a flower. They say, the person in that set, the center of the flower is, if you think about how a flower grows, it's usually the youngest, newest petal there. The one that needs e the whole rest of the flower to protect it. But eventually, as that petal grows and gets bigger and bigger, it kind of moves further to the outside to make room for the next petal that pops up. Magdalene and Thistle Farms give 
women not only a sense that they are beloved, but a sense of what they are called to do. It gives them a purpose in life. Some of the women that I met last year told me how, you know, they go and they work at Thistle Farms and they are happy to do it because they say they want to make sure that that program is there for the next woman who needs it. Women who were pretty sure there was nothing for them suddenly find a purpose and a love. Love of God, love of relationships, love from this sisterhood that they found. I think that all of them now would say that they are blessed. And if you think about it, that sounds intensely ironic because two years prior to this, these were women who were in prison, probably thought very little of pe people who were hungry and abused, and most of society probably did not spend a lot of time thinking positive things about them. And yet now they know not only that they are beloved by God, but that they are worthy of the love of other people because love has healed. All of us, I think, at times struggle with different levels of the, the things that happen in life. We are all called to that kind of relationship with God where we know that we are beloved, where we know that no matter what life can throw at us, that's not what makes us blessed. What makes us blessed is that we are beloved of God. As the woman in the hospital knew a little too well, as the women who have graduated Magdalene know all too well, anything else is temporary. Whether it's a beer or a steak dinner or anything else, that I can eat a steak dinner tonight and I will still be hungry tomorrow. I can put money in my savings account tonight and think that I'm doing pretty well, but tomorrow I'm still going to have that little voice in the back of my head that says, have I saved enough? The love of God is eternal. And when we are willing to accept that through baptism, through lives focused on God and on loving our neighbors, we know that we are called to those relationships which do not end. Do not end in death because we know for better. And we know that because we have Jesus. Jesus, who was God and yet loved us enough to become not just any human being, but a human being, a poor human being in an oppressed and occupied country who was willing to suffer to show us that suffering can still lead to blessedness. That is the power of God. God who seeks nothing more than relationships relationships that prove that the love of God does heal all. Thanks be to God.